Tonight we're going to go directly into the word of the Lord, and I do want to say that uh, tonight is the last uh, night for the uh, Yankee Candle uh, Junior Bible Quiz fundraising purchases. Uh, you can see any of our Bible quizzer, quizzers for details, or you can see Sister Desiree Dixon for details, and uh, they can provide you with that information. This, of course, is funding our Junior Bible Quiz program, and we're very grateful for our Junior Bible Quiz program. Amen. There's something beautiful about young people learning the Word of the Lord. Amen. We're talking tonight about overcoming death, and we are finishing up a series where we spoke of overcoming fear for two Wednesdays, and then tonight we're going to speak about overcoming death. Uh, first of all, we want to know where uh, did death come from? Death is not normal. Death is not natural. Everybody say that. Death is not normal. Death is not natural. It is not. It is something that has come into our world by way of sin. Sin brought death into the world. That's something you need to know about sin. Sin always results in death. The scripture says, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. You see this over and over in the scriptures. You see where Ananias and Sapphira got a big idea that they would lie to the Holy Ghost. It was conceived in their mind to do it. Then they acted on the sin. And then they committed the sin and death followed when they fell down dead. Uh, this happened in the situation regarding Adam and Eve. Of course, this was the original sin. This was the one that brought death into the world. Before death occurred, there was no, or before sin occurred, there was no death. There was no death. Uh, man had complete dominion over the things of the earth. Man was able to take authority over the things of the earth. This is why in the beginning of the scriptures you see people who lived for hundreds of years. That seems unusual to us now. That's because we live in a world where death has taken its toll. Uh, but, but, but there is a reality that, that death was never supposed to be a part of our world. Our world was to be full of life, was to be full of abundance. But, but disobedience brought death into the world. Uh, not, not even so much that God was judging the disobedience, but simply because the reason God gives us instructions is to prevent death from occurring in our life. Spiritual death, natural death. When we obey Him, it works out better for us. When we disobey Him, then we walk directly into the line of fire. And so the scripture describes that the Lord told Adam and Eve that I have given you this garden called pleasure, a garden called Eden. And this garden is for you. This is a, a place for you. Now, I don't know. The Bible doesn't really describe what all existed outside that garden because the whole earth existed outside that garden. So I don't know what all existed on the earth, what all was present except that we know God created all things. But we do know that God carved a special place on the earth and called it pleasure. He called it Eden. And he placed man and woman inside of that garden. 
and said, I have given unto you the trees of this garden to eat, and you shall eat of every tree of the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of both good and evil. And so man and woman had this command from the Lord. There was a reason God did not want them to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and of evil. He didn't want them to eat of this tree because this tree was, was going to expose them to something that was never intended to be a part of their world. Yet it was a reality. It was a reality. Good and evil are both realities. But evil is not something you and I should have any part of, anything to do with, anything to entertain. Uh, we are to experience good. That's what God's will is. It is His will that no man should perish, but that all should, should come to repentance. And so God created all things, and after everything that he created, he said, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. Everything he created. And when he created man and woman and finished the creation, he said, it is very good. So everything was good. That's what man and woman were supposed to know. They were supposed to know goodness. But to disobey God would expose them to evil as well. And this sin brought death into the world. Sin is a, a, a terrible thing. It is a violation of the law of God. It is a transgression uh, of the nature of God. It is uh, something that works against God. And it seems to be pleasurable at the first. When Eve looked upon the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, she said that it looked good to the eyes. She could tell that it was good for food. And it was a tree to be desired to make one wise. This all appealed to her senses, to her senses, which is where we get the word sensual. It appealed to her senses, and she partook of it based on how it appealed to her senses. That's what pleasure does, or sin does. Sin appeals to our senses. It appeals to our senses of, of sight and hearing and, and touching it appeals to the physical senses of the body. It appeals to the emotional sensories of our nervous system and, and whatnot. That's what sin does. But be warned, sin is a deadly poison. It is an ungodly toxin. God does not want you to be exposed to it, not because he doesn't want you to experience pleasure, but because he wants you to experience real pleasure. The whole Garden of Eden was a garden of absolute, pure pleasure. That's what Eden means, pleasure. God wanted humanity to experience pleasure, but he didn't want humanity to experience fake pleasure, which is sin. Sin is fake pleasure. This is why so many of the people who the world worships as celebrities or stars, notice that term, stars, that is to deify them. We call them stars because they are being deified, they are being idolized, they are being worshipped. And so they stand on their pedestals and they speak to the multiplied millions of masses and declare what pleasure is. But their pleasure is a false pleasure. And this is why so many have turned to alcohol and have turned to drug addiction 
and have even, unfortunately, turned to suicide. Because what this world told them was pleasure was not pleasure at all. It brought death into the picture. When they participated in sin, sin brought death. Ladies and gentlemen, that's exactly where death comes from. That's where death came from. It came from human sin. The Bible says that death entered by one man's sin, Adam. Before Adam sinned, there was no death. Imagine a world with no graveyards. Imagine a world with no funeral homes. Imagine a world with no obituary section in the newspaper. Imagine a world with no, with no uh, funeral procession, no funeral. Imagine a world with no hospitals. You drive up and down the interstates of our, of our cities and, and you look around and, and, and you see the effects of, of death. You see a place designated for those who need help correcting their spinal column. You see places designated for those who need help with cancer that has entered their body. You see buildings designated for those who need help with their, with their renal system and they need help with their, with their uh, blood work and whatnot. It is, it is all throughout society the negative effects that death has brought into the world. And each and every one of us are on a slow decline into death. That's the nature of this world. That's what makes the church's business so important because our job is to lift people's eyes, get their eyes off of what this world offers. Stop looking at this world and, and, and considering that this is where it all ends. This isn't where it all ends. There's a happy land of promise over in the great beyond where the, where the saints of earth shall soon the glory share. Hallelujah. We have, by the grace of God, by the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, have access to life eternal. Yes, Adam gave it up in the Garden of Eden. He disobeyed God. And the Lord warned them, the moment that you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die. Now, they didn't fall down dead because death takes a toll in so many different ways. Death began to... It began its slow creep into their life, into their world. The first person that we know of who died did not die of natural causes, but died of manslaughter because another result of death is the death of human conscience. Not just the physical death of man, but the death of all things that are good, all things that are noble, all things that are pure, it is, a, it is a poison and a toxin that fills the body, fills the mind, fills the heart, fills the soul of mankind. That's what we're watching unfold in our world today. We have grown accustomed to it. It didn't surprise us that we woke up the last couple days and saw that a man drove, his, drove a rented truck into a, a, a crowd of people in New York City, wounding 12, killing 8. It was a tragedy, yes, but it is so commonplace anymore that we look at that and say, oh man, isn't our world getting bad? Yeah, our world's getting bad because death is, 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 is operating in such a, with such a freewheeling opportunity to wreak havoc in people's lives. I'll never forget the feeling that, 
that, that the whole nation came under when, when we saw the gruesome uh, footage of a man opening fire upon a, a concert on the Las Vegas Strip and just killing people without cause, without any remorse. It was, it, it, that's death. That's the death of human conscience. That's the death of things that are good and the things that are pure. And I'm going to tell you something. We need a Savior. And this world needs a savior. We don't need to live under the influences of death, but we need to be able to rise up out of the the influence of death and say God has given us the victory over this angel, this fallen angel, if you please, this ungodly spirit called death. And death is, in fact, an ungodly spirit. The Bible refers to death as the enemy of God. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is the enemy called death. So the Bible tells us, it teaches us, that death reigned from Adam to Moses. Okay, death reigned from Adam to Moses. When Adam disobeyed, when Adam and Eve gave in to the temptation of the serpent, and Eve was deceived, Adam disobeyed, a process went underway. And Adam essentially, by agreeing to the terms of the serpent, Adam essentially took off his crown that the Lord had placed on his head, giving him the earth and all things that are in it, giving him authority and dominion over the things of the earth. He essentially took his crown off of his head, abdicated his authority, and gave death rule and reign over this earth. So the Bible says, death reigned like a king from Adam to Moses. From Adam to Moses, death reigned like a king. And, and, and it's, it's crazy. It's really crazy because we've grown so accustomed to death. It's sad and we weep and we cry, but we've come to expect that people will pass off of the scene. And one year after another, we see people come and go. And, and life moves on and, and things continue on. And yet it is a part of the cursed nature of this earth. Never was it supposed to be. Adam and Eve should be alive right now, being fruitful and multiplying. Living in the prime of their life, that is the will of God. God intends that no man should perish. So, so death now is king Because Adam abdicated his authority, gave death the authority that God had given to him. And so death now operates with impunity as the king over the earth. And from Adam to Moses, they died one after another. They died, they died, they died, they died, they died. There was only one man between Adam and Moses who did not die. And the Bible says that this man walked with God so closely that the Lord translated him, literally translated him, decided he was so close to this man by the name of Enoch that he didn't want Enoch to see death. The horrible, demoralizing uh, process called death. It is the most unnatural thing the body can ever experience. The body is supposed to thrive. Death is the opposite of thriving. And God did not want Enoch to even experience it, so the Lord just took him. He was walking with God every day, living for God, 
in communion with God, got so close to God, God said, I don't want him to see death. And he took him. And he was translated that he should not see death. But outside of Enoch, everybody from Adam unto Moses died. Something happened in the life of Moses. Moses was called into a mountain. In this mountain. See, see let me explain something to you real quick. All the good and powerful things of God are ready to be manifest in the lives of people and God is simply waiting for somebody to get close to him and hear his voice. That's what he's waiting on. And so he found a person in Abraham who was close to him, would hear him, would take time and be with him. You know what? Your life would absolutely 100% change if you would take time to be alone with God. You know what got Abraham to become the father of the faithful? Time that he spent alone with God. You know how Noah developed the understanding of the cubic inches of a boat that could save humanity? Time spent alone with God. And Moses had that same experience. This time spent alone with God. And God said, Moses, I want to show you something that's going to save people's lives. It's going to save them for eternity. And he showed him a pattern of heavenly things. This pattern of heavenly things would be the way that God would atone the sins of man. Atoning the sins. Blotting out the sins of man. Dealing with the sins of man. Remitting the sins of man. Of course, this was the blood of a natural spotless lamb. But it was all pointing to the blood that Jesus would shed as the spotless lamb of God on Calvary's hill of sorrow. So he shows Moses this pattern on the mountain. And this pattern on the mountain has a brazen altar. It has a laver of water. It has a table with showbread on it. It has seven golden candlesticks. It has an altar of incense. And it has a veil. On the other side of that veil is a place called the Holy of Holies. Where the fire of God would fall. Essentially, God was showing Moses. Moses, I'm going to show you how sinful man, cursed man, carnal man, wicked man can approach my presence just like he had my presence in the Garden of Eden. I'm going to show you how he can do it. It's going to start with a blood sacrifice. Then there's got to be washing at the laver of water. Then there has to be a eating of the showbread. Then there has to be illumination of the showbread. Then there has to be offering of incense. And this will take place by a priest. Because the people were too sinful to come before the presence of God. The priest had to go through a... A, a rigorous process of cleansing and he had to come from a particular lineage in order to experience this amazing process of atonement and he would stand in the place for all the people so that they could see the fire of God fall and their sins be atoned and deferred for another year if you please. Now this was all pointing to what Jesus would do for each of us at Calvary. But Moses received a revelation that it was even possible. And when he received this revelation and put it into practice, something changed in the minds of Israel. Something changed in the earth. And death was only capable of ruling from Adam unto Moses. 
at Moses' revelation of atonement and his application of the tabernacle plan, death lost its grip on the kingship over the earth. And so now, death isn't king. Oh, it's still here, but it's not king. Notice what the angel of death did, for instance, when the children of Israel were leaving Egypt. The final plague that was coming upon Egypt came upon Egypt in this form. Since Pharaoh will not let Israel, my firstborn son, go, I will take Pharaoh's firstborn sons. And said, Israel, the angel of death is coming through Egypt. And when the angel of death comes through Egypt, the firstborn of every house will be taken as a judgment upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. But in order for you to escape the judgment, you have to slay a lamb and paint the blood of that lamb over the doorposts of your house. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. So death was beginning to lose its grip, lose its hold. Death was beginning to lose its grip on the throne room that it had, a throne that it had established in the, in the earth. And so when Moses died, something very interesting happened. The Lord said, Moses, I'm going, to, I'm going to lead you out into the valley of Moab. And I'm going to take you and I'm going to bury you. And nobody's going to know where you're buried. And nobody to this day knows where Moses was buried. They never did know. God never let anybody know. Later in the book of Jude, we read about an encounter between the devil and the archangel Michael. And the Bible says that the encounter had to do with the body of Moses. The devil disputed with Michael the archangel over the body of Moses. And the, Michael, the archangel Michael looked at the devil and said, The Lord rebuked thee. He didn't even mess with him. He said, the Lord rebuke thee. So what was the devil disputing with Michael the archangel about the body of Moses? What was this about? I'll tell you what I think it was about. I think it was about this. This was the first time that death did not have control over a human body that had gone down into the grave. Because death reigned from Adam to Moses. And when Moses died, it broke something in death's authority over humanity because of the atonement that Moses had understood in his application of the tabernacle plan. And when nobody knew where the body of Moses was buried, not Israel, not the heathen nations, not even the devil only God knew where the body of Moses was buried. It was the Lord's way of saying, death, you had your run, and now it's done. There is going to be a conquering of you. And the conquering of death began to take place over time. Now, one of the ways that God was going to conquer death, you see, here was one of the problems. Death didn't come by God. Death came by man. Man invited death into the world through sin. Oh, no. I know man thought he was just inviting sin, but you aren't ever just inviting sin. When you invite sin, you invite death. Sin brings death to your party in its duffel bag. 
You don't even know death is there. You want the sin. You want the illicit desire. You want the thing that is forbidden. You want the thing that God said no to. So you welcome that thing into your life. But that thing you're bringing into your life is bringing death with it. There's a lot of people who want the illicit sexual relationship, but they don't want the sexually transmitted disease that comes with it. But death always accompanies sin. There's a lot of people who want to go out and get hammered, but they don't want the DUI or the, or the vehicular homicide that comes with it. But death always follows sin. See, so, so that it just does. Sin doesn't travel alone. Sin travels with death as a companion. And so, so it's just the way that it works. And yet here's man struggling and fumbling and stumbling. Because man brought death into the world, man is responsible to get death out of the world. And man is no match for death in case you haven't noticed. Because I'm going to tell you something. The strongest, most viral people who ever walked this planet have had a date with death and lost. I remember one night I saw, I saw an infomercial with Jack LaLanne. About 98 years old. Looked like he's about 45. And he was doing juicers. And I got me one. I thought, well, man, I'm going to look like Jack LaLanne when I'm 98 years old. I'm going to get me a juicer just like Jack LaLanne got him a juicer. And, And then a few years after that, Jack LaLanne went the way of the grave like everybody does. Man is no match for death. There's certain words in the lexicon of human disease that when they are spoken over your life by a medical professional, it sends, it sends a chill through somebody's being when they realize what it is that has invaded their body because they know that in their humanity, they're no match for death itself. At some point, in some way, it will take its toll upon each of us. Man Brought death into the world. Now man has to get death out of the world. And so God said, you know what? I'm not going to let you fight this battle on your own. Hallelujah. Now I'm going to tell you what God did. And maybe once I get done telling you what he did, you'll know why we praise him the way we praise him. Once I get done talking about what he did, maybe you'll understand why we want to serve him for the rest of our life. When I get done telling you what he did, maybe you'll understand why why keeping his commandments is a joy, it's a pleasure and a privilege. Because it was my responsibility to get death out of the world, but I was no match for death. So God said, I'm going to come down into the form of a man and fight that battle for you. It has to be a man to fight the battle. So the Holy Ghost overshadowed, hallelujah, a virgin by the name of Mary who was highly favored and blessed among women. And the Bible says that God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law. And God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Hallelujah. God was manifest in the flesh. God was justified in the spirit. God was seen of angels. God was preached unto the Gentiles. God was believed on in the world. And God was received up into glory. 
Who am I talking about? I'm talking about Jesus because Jesus is God in human flesh. That's who Jesus is. Hallelujah. And so when we talk about Jesus died for you, how many ever heard that term, Jesus died for you? Go ahead. I want to see every hand that's ever heard that term. Jesus died for you. It's so whatever that means, people just, oh, that sounds good. Jesus died for us. I'm not sure what all that means. I'm going to tell you it means everything. Because it was, it, was, it was my appointment with death. But Jesus took my appointment with death. Let me tell you what God did in the form of Jesus Christ. He lived the kind of life that death has no authority over. You see what gave death authority? Remember? Sin. When man invited sin, he invited death. Now death has his foot in the door of the world and won't get out. So God comes down in the form of a man lives a life without sin never invites sin into his world no pride no envy no rebellion no lust no 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 sin no lying no hating no killing no stealing no adultery no fornication just no sin and because he would not allow sin in his body, death had no authority over him. Now let me tell you something about all of us. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And whoever said, well, I'm not as much a sinner as the guy down the road from me. Well, you just sinned again. Because I'm going to tell you, one of the greatest sins of all is the sin of thinking that your human righteousness can save you. It's called pride. Your human righteousness is as filthy rags. And that's the good stuff. It's as filthy. The good stuff you do is as filthy rags in comparison to the holiness and the purity of God. So God came into this world as Jesus Christ. And he lived a life that had no sin in it whatsoever. Hallelujah. No sin. And when he, was, when he was betrayed, he never responded in a sinful way. When he, was, when he was turned on by his friends, those who supported him, he never responded in a sinful way. And when he went to the cross of Calvary, he went to the cross as a man who had committed no sin and had every opportunity to commit sin. He wasn't going as a, an innocent baby who never had opportunity to commit sin. He was going as a fully grown man who had been tempted in all points but was without sin. He wasn't going as just another great martyr of a great cause who was who was taken down by the political tumult of his day. No, no, no. He went as God, manifest in the flesh of humanity that could not get out of their sinful condition and could not get death out of their lives. And while he walked this earth, he allowed every temptation to come against him. And he overcame each of those temptations. Never did commit a sin. He allowed every disease to confront him and he healed all manner of diseases 
Did you know that every disease this world has ever known, Jesus has already healed whatever its root is? He has healed all manner of diseases. So whatever family of disease is, is associated with what you may be dealing with, Jesus has already healed it. Doesn't matter if they don't have a cure. Jesus already has authority over it. Doesn't matter if you've never seen anybody healed from it. He is exceeding and abundantly able to do above all we can ask or think. According to the power that worketh in us. So, so while he was on earth, he took authority over every sickness. He took authority over every temptation. And when he went to the cross, oh hallelujah. Somebody asked me one time, they said, what's the deal with the blood of Jesus? Why do we talk about the blood of Jesus? I mean, it makes for good singing, but what does it mean? It makes for good poetry. I plead the blood. But what does it mean? I'll tell you what it means. When he walked this earth and took authority over every sin and temptation and over every disease, he pulled the authority of those things into his bloodstream. See, this is what you and I need to understand about our blood. Our blood contains the record of our life. That's why if you develop some symptoms this week, you don't know what they mean, and you're going to go to the doctor and find out what they mean, they may do what they call blood work. You know why they're going to do blood work? Because the blood is going to tell them what's gone on inside your body. This is what's in your system. This is why Moses told the children of Israel, don't eat the, the blood of the animal because the life of that animal is in the blood the life of the flesh is in the blood this is true of Jesus Christ the life he lived on earth is in his blood so when he went to the cross and was crucified his blood was shed what blood? The blood that had all authority over every sickness. What blood? The blood that had all authority over every temptation was inside that body. And if the principality, the Bible says if the princes of this world knew who they had on their hands, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory. Because the moment that they shed that innocent blood, and that blood hit the earth. Hallelujah. Something changed. Oh, hallelujah. See, when Moses died, death lost its kingship. But when Jesus died, death is getting ready to lose its authority over the body of Jesus Christ. So Jesus now is crucified. He was wounded, bruised. He was Beaten, mocked, ridiculed. He went through everything you and I had coming to us. The Bible says he was not a transgressor, but he was numbered with the transgressors. The Bible says that he was wounded, not for his transgressions, but for ours. Bruised, not for his iniquities, but for ours. It was the chastisement of our peace that was upon him, not the chastisement of, of his, our peace. And by his stripes, we are healed. So what he went through on Calvary's cross is what I was supposed to go through. I'm the one who's a sinner. He's the one who is innocent. But he took not only my penalty for sin, he took my sin. 
let me, let me say it even the way the Bible says it. He became my sin. So, so what happened to his body? If I'll accept it, believe it, repent from my sins because of it, be baptized into it. Ladies and gentlemen, what happened to his body is what the Lord will do to my sins. And my sins can be attached and affixed to the cross of Jesus Christ just as his body was attached and affixed. He became the murderer's murder. He became the fornicator's fornication. He became the liar's lie. He became the hater's hate. He became sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And when he died, hallelujah, remember that pattern? Remember that pattern that I talked about, Moses receiving in the mountain? It had the altar, the laver of water. It had showbread. It had table of incense and, and candlesticks. And then there was a veil that separated the priest in the inner court from the holiest of all places called the Holy of Holies. That veil, when Jesus died, that veil ripped in two, forever allowing not just the priest, but whosoever will to come into the presence of the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. And when Jesus entered the grave, he entered the grave unlike any other man who had ever entered the grave. Nobody went into the grave like Jesus did because everybody else who went into the grave went in with some sin in their life. Let me tell you something. Anybody you know has sin in their life. You don't want to know everything about anybody. Just leave it alone and be like, God bless you. I'll just, I'll just know you like I know you. Amen. I don't want to know everything about anybody because everybody has sin in their life. And, and, but, but not Jesus. When Jesus entered the grave, he went into the grave with no sin in his body. And the grave had never dealt with a man who had overcome all temptation, had overcome every disease, had conquered everything that man could not conquer. And when Jesus comes into the grave, it was like sending him down an assembly line. And, the, and grave and hell are looking at the body of Jesus and I'll tell you what they're looking for. They're looking for the sin in his body. That's what they're looking for. They're looking for the sin in his body. Because every one of us have sin in our members. The members of our body are corrupted by the sin in our life. And they're looking for the sin in his body. And they looked and looked and looked and they could find no sin. Just like Pilate I find no fault in him. I can imagine grave looking at hell, saying, what do we do if there's no sin? Because we're at a, we're at a procedural crossroads. What do we do when we go, don't find any sin in a human body? Because we got to send this thing on down the assembly line, but we don't have any box to check because there's no sin in his body. And I imagine hell looking at the grave saying, well, uh, there's not much we can do. In fact, the only thing we can do is let him go. Because we have no jurisdiction over this body. You know, it's not like Jesus died and then after dying got down into the grave and had to fight, you know, the grave and, and body slam hell and, and pile drive death and, 
and give elbows. No, no, no. It, it, none of that was going on. The moment he died, he was, he was going to rise from the dead. It was inevitable that he was going to rise from the dead because there was no sin in his body and sin is the only thing that gives death any authority in our lives. Hallelujah. You know why I'm going to die should the Lord tarry? Because there was sin in my natural body. So this natural body will be appointed to die. And after that, the judgment. But I don't have to be afraid of that. Because Jesus has overcome death on my behalf. Oh, hallelujah. So Jesus comes up out of the grave. He comes up out of the grave in a resurrected body. They didn't believe, some of them didn't believe it was him. And they said, I won't believe until I see the scars in his hands and the scars in his side. And Jesus said, look at him. In fact, touch him. Put your finger in the wound in my hand, Thomas. And when Thomas saw it, he fell down on his, at, his, at his feet and said, my Lord and my God. Jesus said, Thomas, you, you see and you believe, but blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. That's you and I, ladies and gentlemen. We did not handle him physically to be able to tell everybody, oh yes, he rose from the dead. So we did not see him with our natural eyes. We were not natural eyewitnesses of his majesty. Oh, but I know he's alive. I said, oh, but I know he's alive. Because I talked to him this morning and he talked to me. Hallelujah. Because he raised my life up from its own ruin. Because he healed my mind. Hallelujah. And he spared me from bitterness and resentment. And he delivered me from the chains of bondage. Hallelujah. I know he's alive. And you know what? When you know he's alive and you believe, he said, blessed are you. Oh, hallelujah. Glory, glory. He's alive. He's alive even forevermore he's alive. Death has no hold on him. He dieth no more. He died once and for all. Oh, hallelujah. Now I want you to think about that statement. He died once. And when he died once, he died for all. And now, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. And now... Anybody, and I do mean anybody, it doesn't matter who you are or where you come from or what you've done, anybody can place their faith in what Jesus Christ did, hallelujah, on their behalf, and they can be free from the ravages of sin and death. Oh, hallelujah. Let me give you some, some of the things that death has brought upon mankind. War. Some of us have never known the awful, awful terror of war. Many have. And God bless our veterans. We should be thanking God for our veterans every single day. Because of the, 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 the horrors of war are, are unimaginable. Something we, we will never be able to understand. The horrors of war. Death brought war into the world. Death brought sickness into the world. Death brought disease. Death brought pain. Death brought sadness. Death brought betrayal. 
De death even brought predatory behavior. Both among humans and among the, the animal kingdom. There was no pet predatory behavior among the animal kingdom before death entered the world. You know, uh, uh, the Bible actually says in the kingdom, the wolf will lay down with the lamb. And it'll all be cool. The wolf isn't going to be looking out the corner of his eye like lamb chops. That's not what's going on. Everything's good. Everything's good. They, they are restored back to God's original intent. So you ever want to pet a lion or pet a cheetah or pet a leopard? Don't do it here. Wait. Go riding on some big tiger, Siberian tiger. Wait. The kingdom is coming. Then you can ride on a Siberian tiger. There's no predatory behavior in any individual. The Bible says, lay not for yourselves treasures on this earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves do break through and steal. And I used to think, but, but, but then he said, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. And I used to think, wow, that's awesome. God's going to have a fence so, so tightly secured around his people that, that thieves cannot break through and steal. And then the Lord showed me, no, no, that, they're going to be in any need for any fence. There will be no thieves in that kingdom. Ah. No thieves. You'll, you'll run into no murderer, no rapist, no predator of any kind. You won't run into anybody like that. Not in that city. There's no sin in that city. There's no death in that city. There's no deprivation of human character in that city. Why would you live for this world? Why would you put your hopes in this world? Why would you, why would you just, just follow after every lust and whim of your flesh? When you can live after the Spirit, sow to the Spirit, and reap of the Spirit life everlasting. Oh, bless His holy name. So, so, so here I am. I'm, I'm in need of salvation. I can't go to heaven by myself. I can't go to heaven just because I'm good. Because my goodness falls so short of what goodness really is. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself looked at his disciples and said, there's none good but God. In other words, any good you see, as good as it is, it's as good as it gets here. But there is no comparison to the goodness and the greatness of Almighty God. And that's why I can't look down my nose at somebody who's not as, in my estimation, as spiritual or as holy as I am. And I look down, oh, they're not doing as good as me. So now, so now I'm putting myself above them. I can't do that. I can't do that because every one of us comes short of his glory. See, I'm not being compared to this person who's not as good as me. I, I'm not being compared to them. I'm being compared to him who my goodness can never compare to. Do you understand? So, so me and this guy, whoever it may be, we're on the exact same level. We're on the exact same plane. He could be, he could be doing something that, that, that is against God completely, and I'm over here trying 
trying to do something right doesn't matter. My righteousness can never reach or attain under the righteousness of God. I need a Savior. You need a Savior. You can't make it to heaven on your own. You need Jesus. So, so somebody in Acts chapter 2 heard this and they cried out, well, then what shall we do? And the answer was, repent. Do you know what repent means? It means stop sinning. That's what it means. Stop sinning. Stop doing bad stuff. Stop doing wrong stuff. Now that, that sounds simple, and it isn't to your flesh. It's, and you've got to admit that. You've got to admit, I can't do this on my own. I need Jesus. I can't. So, so somebody may come to the altar and say, oh, God, forgive me for what I've done wrong. And then they might say, I'm never going to do that again. Well, and then they go out and they fall and they mess up and they make mistakes. Listen, keep on coming to the altar and keep on crying out to God. But, but this time, come to him and say, Lord, I'm telling you that it's in my heart to worship you. It's in my heart to serve you. Give me strength every day. Give me strength for this morning that I wake up. Don't just do it at church. Do it at home. Do it in your living room. Do it before you get out of bed. Lord, I need your help so that I can turn from my wicked ways. I need your strength so I can walk away from what is wrong. And I'm telling you, I'm preaching to you the absolute truth. And there are going to be a lot of preachers who won't tell you that you need to stop doing wrong stuff. Because, I, because they, they bought into some kind of a strange doctrine. But you hear the word of the Lord. There are sins that will not enter that city. No sin shall enter that city. And it doesn't matter who all else is doing it. And it doesn't matter how popular it is in your generation or in your culture. You've got to walk away from that sin and turn from that sin. No sin will enter that city. And I know it seems like a far cry for you to be able to uh, get to that point. But I'm going to tell you, in Jesus' name, you can repent. In Jesus' name, you can walk away. When you say, God, I'm turning, I'm turning away. I'm turning away from it. I'm walking away from it. I'm going to tell you, he's going to meet you. He's going to give you strength. He's not going to let you walk on your own. He's going to come up under your burden with you and shelter you and comfort you. And you know what? When you fall, he's going to pick you up. I'd love to see the hands of every individual who, who after they repented for the first time, never fell after that. You're seeing it, folks. There's nobody who can claim that. But did they give up? No. Did they stop trying? No. Did they stop serving the Lord? No. They walked with him. And when they stumbled, hallelujah. Anybody remember walking with your mom or your dad and holding on to their hand and, and you're walking along and, and, and you trip or when you had your child by the hand and they trip, you didn't just drop them and say, you're embarrassing me, man. You chill out over there. Learn to walk. Who taught you how to walk? That's not how it happens. You, you, you're there to pick them up and to help them along. Don't you know that's your God? He wants you to live. He wants you to thrive. He wants you to survive. Hallelujah. 
Glory to God. He didn't come. He did not come to make you feel guilty. He came to reveal your guilt to you so you would repent of what it is that has made you not feel guilty, but be guilty. Guilt is not a feeling. Guilt is a state of being. You're either guilty or you're not guilty. And if you are guilty, repent. And if you're not guilty, rejoice. Hallelujah. So, so the first response was repent and then be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. That's what this, that's what this baptismal tank is up here for. This is not just a little piece of religious furniture. But this is there because we are in compliance to the word of the Lord. The answer to what shall we do is to repent and be baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of sins. That word remission means washing away. Washing away the sins. Hallelujah. You know how that happens? Because when I get in that water, this is what I'm saying. I'm saying, Lord, I need a Savior. And I believe that what you did when you walked this earth and died the death you died on Calvary's cross has the power to save me from my sin and to save me from death. And so I'm going to be buried with you in these waters of baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. You want to know why? Because he's who died for you. He's who took your punishment. He is who lived the life you and I couldn't live. Don't, don't ask me to be baptized in somebody else's name. I'll be baptized in his name. That's what the Bible teaches and, and my sins are washed away in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So when I come up out of that waters, listen, I have been buried into the name of Jesus Christ. So here's what happened in that whole transaction. It's actually, it's actually a legal transaction that occurs. Joel Urshan and all the junk associated with Joel Urshan stays in the water. And when I come up, I have a new name upon my life. And that new name is Jesus Christ. Do you know how significant that is? How important that is? Because now when I stand before God in judgment, I stand there not as Joel Urshan, but I stand there as being covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. So, so listen, this is, this is what happens. Every individual has a book of life associated with them. So, so your name has a book of your life. And inside that book of your life is attached everything. And I do mean everything. The Bible says that every idle word shall be brought into judgment. Everything you've ever thought or said or done, whether you are proud of it or not, it's in that book. So there's a book up waiting for me on Judgment Day called Joel Urshan. And it's not an autobiography. I don't get to flavor it up, put a few adjectives in here and there, edit it. No, I don't like that. Let's leave that one out. No, 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 no. I don't think we need to be talking about that. 
No, 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 none of that. No, it's just, it's raw and uncut, unedited, unfiltered, and it's just, it's just everything you and I have ever done, and there it is in all its glory. That's the book of Joel Urshan's life and the book of your life. And that's the book the devil would love to judge you out of. Because if I'm judged according to that book, I'm done. I mean done. Well done. Not well done like well done now good and faithful servant. Well done like a flame broiled sirloin done. If I'm judged by that book. But thank God. I said thank God. Thank God for the grace and the mercy of Almighty God. Hallelujah. I said thank God for the grace and the mercy of Almighty God. Because, because I repented of my sins and I was buried not in my name or in some of his titles, but in the name, the identity of Jesus Christ. So now my name has been written down in the Lamb's book of life. So, so now I'm not judged according to all the stuff in Joel Urshan's past. Instead, I'm going to receive judgment according to the life of Jesus Christ. And you wonder why I shout and dance and holler and, my Lord, he saved me. I said, he saved me. And, and so the, the disciples went and cast out some devils one day. And when he cast out, then they cast out the devils, they came back and they were telling Jesus, you should have seen it, man. I just, I don't know what all they were saying, but they were just, you should have seen it. That one guy, I cast that devil out of him and the devil went running and, 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 and Jesus said, don't rejoice because the devils are subject unto you. Rejoice because your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. That's something to rejoice about. That he placed your name in the book of his life's account. And so that's how you will be judged according to the life work of Jesus Christ. So, when you repent of your sins and are baptized in Jesus' name, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now here's what's amazing. When I die, should the Lord tarry when I die, Hallelujah, by and by, I will fly away. You, you, you have to understand, I don't just die, I die in Christ. And because I'm dead in Christ, listen to what the Bible says about the dead in Christ. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Woo, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Then we shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Then he said to the church at Corinth, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. Then 
shall this mortal put on immortality and this corruptible shall put on incorruption. So he's describing when that last trumpet sounds, the dead in Christ shall be raised incorruptible. That means they're going to rise up without any of the corrupting influences of death in their body. So you may not even recognize them because you may not even have known them when death before death started taking its toll. There'll be, no, there'll be no dilapidation of their body. There'll be no aging of their body. There'll be no digression of their body. They're going to rise incorruptible. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. And when this mortal hath put on immortality and when this corruptible hath put on incorruption, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up. In victory. See, right now, right now, death is still in the process of being completely vanquished. He has already overcome death in his human body. The Lord did that in the human body of Jesus Christ. He already overcame death. And he is inviting one and all, come into the body of Jesus Christ. Come, we used to sing the song, are you baptized into the body? Are you in the Savior's bride? You know why we got to reach every gospel with Jesus? Reach every creature with the gospel of Jesus? The reason we have to do that is because we're saying, come, get in this body, this uncorrupted body, this incorruptible, this, this immortal body. Come, be baptized into the body. Come out from among them. Be separate. Get into the body. As long as you're putting all your hope in your personal body, then you're going to die the death of every man and end up in a devil's hell. But come into the body of Jesus Christ. The body that has conquered death. The body that has overcome hell in the grave. Hallelujah. So that's where we are right now. Like Noah's Ark, come, get in the body. Get in the body and be saved. Get in the body and be saved. We hear the term body of Christ, and we're so flippant and haphazard. Oh, God bless the body of Christ. It's important that we, the body, are many members. No, you got to understand. This is the body that has conquered death. you got to get in this body, the body of Jesus Christ, the uncorrupted body, the immortal body. Hallelujah. And so, so let, me, let me go through this really quick here. That's where we are right now. But when that trumpet sounds, the dead are raised incorruptible. The dead and Christ rise first. This mortal body puts on immortality. This corruptible body, my body right now is corruptible. I could be walking down the steps tonight, break my leg. Because it's a corruptible body. I could go play basketball this week and Lord knows what would happen if that Break something. Sprain something. Why? Because it's a corruptible body. But this corruptible body shall put on incorruption. And when that happens, then we have moved the total vanquishing of death into the next phase, which is death being swallowed up in victory. Now I have a question for death, the scripture says. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. Remember sin? That's what brought death. That's the sting of death. When you remove sin from the picture, then death has no sting anymore. 
You know the only reason you're afraid of a bee is because of its stinger. Not its little wings. Not its little jacket. No, it's the stinger. That's why we don't like, that's why we don't like bees is because of the stinger. You, do you realize when death loses its sting, it loses its power. Jesus is removing sin from your life. Now death has no sting. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who hath given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what Paul said at the end of 1 Corinthians 15. Be ye steadfast, therefore, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So, so this, this has been a process. Death pulled a fast one on Adam. Adam disobeyed took off his crown, gave it to death, said you can be king, abdicated his authority. Death ruled and reigned from Adam all the way until Moses. God revealed to Moses the atonement of man's sin and death lost its authority over its kingship, over humanity. Then the Lord told death, O death, I will be thy plagues. He was warning death, I'm coming to undo what you have done. He comes into the world as Jesus Christ, dies the death of every man, tastes death for every man. And when he does, he goes into the grave as an unblemished lamb of God. Death has no hold on him. He rises from the dead, victorious over the dead, and welcomes every one of us to be baptized into his unblemished body. We repent of our sins, are baptized into his precious name, filled with his precious spirit. Now, now, not only does his body have authority over death, but mine does too. Because I'm in him. And so my corruptible body shall put on incorruption. And when that happens, the next phase is that death is swallowed up in victory. And ultimately, listen to what the Bible says. The Bible says that God has prepared a great lake of fire. And this lake of fire is reserved for the devil, the devil's angels, the Antichrist, the false prophet. It's reserved for hell. See, see, hell isn't the lake of fire. Hell hath torment, and hell hath a flame, but hell is not the lake of fire. Hell will be cast into the lake of fire. The grave will be cast into the lake of fire. And everyone whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. And ultimately, and this is what the Bible says, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. And death will be cast into the lake of fire. And when death is cast into the lake of fire, ladies and gentlemen, I, I, I want to shout it on the rooftops. Hallelujah. He has prepared for you a place where you can live forevermore. Hallelujah. Somebody, come on, somebody reach out to him right now and say, Lord, that's where I want to go. That's where I want to live. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, blessed be his name. Come on, let's worship him right now. Let's worship him right now in the name of Jesus. 
In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Blessed be his holy name. Blessed be his holy name. You know what we ought to do right now? Every individual in this house who is struggling with something in their life, I want you to go ahead and stand to your feet and say, God, I'm going to give it to you right now. I'm going to hand it over to you right now in the name of the Lord. I'm going to hand it over to you right now in the name of the Lord. Everything, 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 Lord, I give it to you. I give it to you. I give it to you. Hallelujah. Come on, that's it. That's it. Go ahead and give it to God. Go ahead and give it to God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, let him, let him have it. You know what? I'm going to tell you something. We, we, we talk a lot about give God the praise, and we should. Give God worship, and we should. But, but, but sometimes we got to give God our pain, and we got to give God our sin. We have to give that to him also. We don't just give him the, the good stuff we have in us, like praise and worship, but we give to him all, everything that we have inside of us. So if there's some sin inside of me, open up your mouth and just say, God, I'm giving you this sin. And don't feel like you're alone, because everybody in this house right now is in the same boat you are. We're just trying to get to heaven. We're just trying to live for God. Hallelujah. So just give it everything. Give him everything. Give him everything. Lord, I give you everything. My heart, my soul, my mind. Hallelujah. My body. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Come on, let's lift up our hands and our voices all across this building. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, that's it. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Can somebody just cry out to him right now? Give him some thanks. Give him some praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, thank God that we're in a win-win situation. Blessed be the name of our God. Blessed be the name of our God. Hallelujah. Come on, lay it down to him. Lay it down at his feet right now. Lay it down at his feet right now. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. The blessing of the Lord. The blessing of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, that's it. Let the Spirit of the Lord work His work right now. Let the Spirit of the Lord work His work in your heart. Let the Spirit of the Lord work His work in your spirit. Thank you, Jesus. 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 I want everybody who knows what guilt feels like, I want you just to, for just the next few moments, and we won't be long, but just for the next few moments, could you just, could you just rest? Could you just rest in the grace of God right now? Say, Lord, I'm giving you my guilt. Come on, if you've got guilt in your spirit right now, I want you to release it to God right now. Go ahead, release it to God right now. God wants to deliver you from that thing you don't seem to be able to untangle from. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's deliverance in this house. Lord, I give you my heart. Give you my soul. I live for you alone. Every breath that I take, every moment I'm awake, have your way in me. 
give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you. 